Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Too affected by altitude. Appreciate you listening in as always on this Friday that we're recording Monday. As you were listening, probably we are your one-stop shop for all Rockies news, updates, hot takes, cold takes, and maybe even some Yankees takes here if this episode goes the way uh, we're planning to. We are of course plugged in and ready to go on the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. This podcast hosted by Purple Row, talking about everything Rockies related. And as always, I'm joined by my two bestest pals in the Rockies universe, and that's Skylar Timmons. Hello. And, oh, gorgeous. There it is. And Evan Lang. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Evan, not going to harmonize uh, like Skylar will today, but it's all good. We are, of course, the Purple Row podcast, affected by Altitude, as I mentioned, the Rockies affiliation of SB Nation. And if you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you'll know that we start every single one of these here podcast gimmicks with a bit of an icebreaker. So as always, please feel free to answer on Twitter or on the post on the website the answer to the question that we are asking today. And that is, what is your all-time favorite defensive play in Rockies history? Rockies have had a lot of really great uh, defensive players throughout their, you know, their years. So starting with uh, Evan this time, what is your favorite or what is the first great defensive play that comes to mind in Rockies history? Uh, it's got to be the Troy Tulowitzki unassisted triple play. Yeah, of course. Historically significant, too. Yeah, I just I can't think of 
like for a jaw dropper defensive play we you know we've been spoiled for so long because we've always had just really defensively solid infielders especially Mm -hmm. um, third base with nolan and trevor story and troy tulowitzki but uh it was in 2007 that troy tulowitzki turned the 13th unassisted triple play in major league baseball history Mm -hmm. and it was really really cool it was really really cool (laughs) It's a good. That's a good answer. What, know, what more reasons say. do you need? Yeah. What else do you need? That's a great. That's a good reason. It was cool. It was really cool. Uh, it was. It was against the Atlanta Braves, and the Rockies were wearing the white vests, and he uh, nets a line drive and just doubles up and gets the triple play. It was great. And like you said, thirteenth time it ever happened in Major League history. That's more rare than a perfect game. That's that's really you know historically significant. Skyler, what's yours? So mine isn't necessarily like a very fancy play, but just the significance of it uh, was the final out of the 2007 NLCS where oh, Eric course. Burns hits a little chopper over to short. Tulo comes running in, scoops it up, and fires to first. And just that image of Todd Helton catching it and Benton his first baseman position and just mm. screams See, I was absolutely going to say that one if I didn't pick the Tulo one. So Yeah. And the best part it's of it so is – iconic. The best part of it is seeing Eric Burns, who had slid headfirst trying to beat out the throw and Uh just laying there dejected, especially after (laughs) badmouthing the Rockies a couple days prior. That's right. That's right. Uh, Just poetic justice and just the significance of that moment. Absolutely. That, of course, Todd Helton gets to catch, receive the final out Mm -hmm. to send him to the World Series and just, oh, what a significant moment. I bet he still got that ball. Oh, I bet you he does. And it's also, like, it's the prevailing picture of, like, the Rockies, like, highest peak in their history. Like, like Skyler said, the, the image of Helton, like, arms, arms raised, like, screaming into the heavens, man. Like, it's you can't duplicate that. It's, it's a great, great play. And like you said, it's not super fancy, but it's so significant in their history. I think it's a great pick. And then, yeah, Eric Burns, uh, known as a bit of a trash talker, always good to get one up on him in a moment like that. Uh, good picks, good picks. So I'm going to go a little bit uh, under the radar. There was a game a few years back where uh, the Rockies were playing, I believe it was the Dodgers, and Ben Paulson jumped into the left field, uh, you know, over the left field's wall to steal a home run away from them. And it's not a play that you're ever going to see on, like, the Rockies' all-time highlight reels or whatever, just because it was kind of a throwaway play and, like, a really, you know, lost season, as so many of those were. But I just happened to be sitting out there in left field, and I just thought it was amazing. It was so cool to see it that close to me. I just I love it. Um, but as far as like my favorite all time defensive play for the Rockies, I'm gonna have to go with the Arenado tarp catch in oh, San Francisco. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Great. It's it's amazing. It's 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 the greatest play I've ever seen a third baseman make. It's the greatest play I've ever seen a major league player make. Um, just diving headfirst into the tarp. I know Josh Donaldson did something similar. Uh, not too long after, but I think Arenado is just going absolutely full pelt. He dives over this tarp. You think like this dude might just broke his leg. Like that was a violent fall. And now nah, he comes up and he throws to third base and almost gets you out at third base. Like it's untouchable to me. It's the greatest play I've ever seen. Uh, I loved it. And it solidified him as uh, my guy. And uh, you know, we all know how well that went for us. So uh, let us know on Twitter. What is your favorite defensive play in Rockies history? Do you agree with the ones we picked? Are there any we missed? Obviously, want to hear from you. Let us know what's going on. But let's get into the big news of the week. And uh, honestly, in a season like this, 
it's unlikely any news will be bigger than the fact the Rockies have their first official Hall of Famer. Following the celebration this week, the the induction of uh, four great players, but the one that sticks out the most to us, of course, is Larry Walker, number 33. His number will be retired here pretty shortly, but uh, I don't really have a like good question for you guys about this. I more just want to t- have you all talk about the significance of Larry Walker being in the Hall of Fame, and more specifically, like the fact that there is finally a Colorado Rockies cap in Cooperstown. There was some speculation he might go in as an expo. You know, he had some pretty good years with the Cardinals or whatever, but now it is officially a Colorado Rockies hat in there. Open floor. Talk about what that means to you. Talk about what it means to the fan base. Talk about Larry Walker in the Hall of Fame. So, as I'm sure folks who listen regularly know, Larry Walker is my favorite baseball player of all time. Yeah, he's my he is. favorite Rockies player of all time. I grew up idolizing him. He was always so cool and such a fantastic player. And the fact that the Rockies finally have their first Hall of Famer, you know, as we're almost 30 years into the existence of the team, is just really, really meaningful because, one, I think there is no player in Rockies history more deserving than Larry Walker Mm. to be our first ever Hall of Famer, but that it opens the door for other Rockies players to get in, especially with Todd Helton, who, you know, could have been considered a fringe case because people tend to look down on people who played for the Rockies. But with the statistics that Helton has and his traction that he's been gaining in voting, a lot of that coming from Larry Walker finally being inducted is that I think this really opens the door for him. And I do think we see Todd make the Hall of Fame before his... 10-year eligibility is up because Larry got in on his 10th year. This was the last year that he could have made it in. And the fact that he did make it in so emotional and so great for him, for the fan base, it's something really nice to rally on, especially in a year where, you know, the Rockies are, of course, not very good. But we can at least look back and, and, and see Larry now is in the hall. And I don't think there was any question, to me at least, that he would have gone in as a Rocky. Yeah, he had, you know, six good seasons with the Expos, um, and that's where he made his debut. But he only had a year and a half with the Cardinals, but then, you know, ten seasons with the Rockies, and I really can't think of any reason why he wouldn't have gone in as a Rocky. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really interesting you mentioned how it makes Todd Helton that much more likely to get in. Do you, like, sort of expand on on your uh, line of thought real briefly? So, unfortunately, as as Rockies fans, we all know of the stigma that playing for the Rockies and playing in altitude carries. A lot of people are like, oh, their stats are entirely carried by Coors Field, when it's very clearly not true, especially in Mm -hmm. Larry Walker's case where he had, you know, very, very good road numbers. And it's just, um, so Larry Walker's road numbers were, of course, not as good as his home numbers, but they were still very, very good, where he had an on-base percentage of 370 on the road. And like that's fantastic. It's really just so frustrating that the, the Rockies are always going to carry this stigma of course Field, still to even to this day. But with the way that Todd Helton is statistically that you know we had this discussion a couple weeks ago when we were comparing 
you know, Todd Helton and Joey Votto is that most people consider Joey Votto to be a Hall of Famer. And if you don't, if you think Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer, then you should definitely think that Todd Helton is because st- statistically they are comparable. And, you know, of course, Todd Helton is the you know, single greatest player in Rocky's history that wore the uniform for the entirety of his career. He four-time silver slugger. He won a batting title, three-time gold glove, five-time all-star. He was just such a good player. And he is, if you look statistically at him, he's got hall of fame numbers, but people want to discount him because, Oh, his, his splits are so severe that, Oh, he just had such an unfair advantage at cores. But if you look at his home and away splits, they are very similar to Larry Walker's who is now a Hall of Famer. So Larry Walker on the road slashed 278, 370, 495. Todd Helton on the road, 287, 386, 469. So he batted comparably or better to Larry on the road in his 17-year career while still also being very, very good at Coors Field. So you look at that and you go, Oh, everyone's saying, oh, the splits are so bad, but his splits are statistically very good, that he was also very good on the road, that Larry Walker was very good on the road, mm. and that if there's any justice in this world within the next few years, Todd Helton's going to be a Hall of Famer too, because he absolutely is the kind of quality player that you would want representing the Rockies in the Hall of Fame. He is a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. I love it, man. I love the the sort of uh, underlying um, possibilities that it opens up. What do you got in Walker, Skyler? Anything else we haven't touched on yet? Well, yeah, I think just overall, something that I love about watching Larry Walker and you know, giving his speech uh, at the Hall of Fame induction was just the sheer humility and everything that he carries himself. Because uh, mm. of all the speeches, everybody was kind of dignified and all that stuff. But like Larry Walker was just that kind of goofy Canadian that everybody loves. You know, he's wearing the SpongeBob pin on his jacket. You know, he's cracking jokes. He's taking a video of the crowd when he first gets up there. No, you could just see this childlike wonder in him because, you know, ever humble in all the interviews prior to the induction and ever since he got voted in, no, he constantly kept saying, I never thought this was going to happen. No, and I was fine with it not happening. And I always thought of myself as an average guy. I never thought I'd be a Hall of Famer or anything. And just, I just love that about him is that he just loved the game. He loved playing baseball and was able to laugh at himself and all this stuff and just be humble and grateful for the opportunity. And no, it just makes him so endearing, especially to, to Rockies fans. And yeah, you know how validating that was that day for here's Larry Walker spent the majority of his career, did the most damage of his career in Colorado for 10 years. Yeah, he didn't, he was struggled with his health throughout his career, but in the time that he was on the field, he was the best there was. And just how validating that can be for the fans, for Colorado, like we were saying for Todd Helton to let other players come in and a message for other players who may be thinking about, you know, their time in Colorado, know that, Hey, I can be great here. Oh, and I can find that success, and I could eventually become a Hall of Famer type of thing. And 
Yeah. You know, I think we're starting to see more is more and more people learning that the stigma of Coors Field, it doesn't matter. Like if if that was the case, then people absolutely then why have a baseball team in Colorado if that's the way it's always going to be and it's such an advantage? You know, Larry Walker breaking those stigmas opens the door up for so many other Rockies players, for the fans, and, you know, part of that I like to touch on is just what he means to the country of Canada. Mm. You know, is the first position Canadian-born player to make it in, just the second Canadian overall to make it into the Hall of Fame. You know, and it's just what that means for the kids in Canada, you know, you always, if you talk to any of the Canadian baseball players today or in the past, they'll always point to like Fer- Fergie Jenkins and Larry Walker. Sure. It's like the idols. That's who you grew up. That's who you want to be from Canada. You know, and I love the MLB network. They had a video narrated by Joey Votto talking about Larry Walker and his career and everything. You know, and like it actually got me kind of misty eyed listening to it just uh-huh. no just that significance of what yeah. he means to not only you know the state of Colorado but to an entire country that's really special you know and just that humility Larry Larry carries himself amidst everything and just how great of a player he was in the time he had oh mm-hmm. it's just there's just not enough you can say about him that's just you no know, constantly praising him and there's not enough time of the day to cover it all oh, totally well, and it's cool. Like you mentioned, like, it's a huge deal to Rockies fans. That's what I even said when I opened the segment. But you're right. Like, it's a huge deal to Canadians. Like, it's such a big deal to have their first ever, like you just said, man, the first ever position player of Canadian descent in the Hall of Fame. Like, there are going to be, I know it's cliche at this point, but like, you know, there's these kids that are in Canada, right? And they're thinking, well, maybe I want to play baseball when I grow up. Like, I wonder who's, how do you not look at Larry Walker, you know, as your guy? Like, he's going to be the icon for Canadian baseball for uh, ever. Like, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously you mentioned Votto, like absolutely Votto's the next guy, but like, but Larry Walker will always be the first. And that is so cool. Like it's such a, such a great distinction for him. Uh, Both of you guys are going to the uh, Larry Walker uh, number retirement ceremony, which would be fantastic. Um, I'm sure that'll be very emotional as well. Having him around. So yeah, I think, uh, I think this is a really, really great moment for Rockies fans. Great for, Seattle said Canadian baseball fans, great for everybody, man. It's just a feel-good Hall of Fame moment. And, and something that I love is some of the reporters that were there uh, tweeting about the ceremony and everything was when uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, was reading off his plaque and everything, reading off the stats. And so he tweeted out that the best part of that was hearing people like behind him and around him you know, kind of like being shocked hearing the numbers. Mm. They're like, what then? Started like looking mm-hmm. up Larry Walker's stats on, on Baseball Reference and everything, and kind of being really surprised. Like, oh man, this guy was actually really good. Yeah, you no, know, because well, especially compared to some of the other Hall of Famers on this year. Hot take. Yeah, and like, you know, that's the big thing. Like, you, know, you had Ted Simmons. Everybody, you know, there are people for there. There's, you know, I don't think really anybody was there for Marvin Miller, being <laughs> you know, member of the P like the players union or whatever. Right. And everything. Sure. But like, you know, everybody was there for Derek Jeter. And uh-huh. unfortunately we'll get into that later. We are. But yeah, we just, certainly will. You know, seeing that Larry Walker. Yeah. He deserved to be there. And like, it, it was just good. A good day. People, Larry Walker, even if he didn't get as much recognition as we would have hoped, 
from MLB and everybody else, but like the people that even did take notice of him realized, oh yeah, this guy should be here. He's pretty good. Honestly, 100%. it's kind of his uh, his induction was sort of a microcosm as his of his career in general, where this incredibly humble, you know, fun-loving, goofy Canadian guy who people, you know, even during his playing career did not recognize as mm. being as significant as he actually was. Mm. That's a great and point. And it really is that, you know, I can't think of, like I said, I can't think of a better guy to be that first Rockies Hall of Famer. Just always, always humble, always cracking jokes, always being just, you know, huge, huge, huge heart, huge, huge talent very hard worker that you know really gets you know passed over a lot like i remember when i was a kid and i would you know talk baseball people who didn't really know about the rockies or weren't from colorado and they wouldn't really know who larry walker was uh-huh. like uh i was visiting family in new york and they're like oh who's your favorite baseball player and it's larry walker and it's like who's that and it's like this incredibly talented one-of-a-kind baseball player who's you know, story of how he even got into baseball is so unique and interesting and so very much him that more people should have known who he was then and more people should recognize what he meant now and him being in the Hall of Fame is so important to that. Absolutely. And some that I loved in his speech, you know, thanking everybody, but specifically thanking those of Rocky's Twitter who campaigned for him. So good job, everybody. Yes. Did it. Yes. This victory is ours. <laughs> it's so true, man. That's uh, yeah, man. It was really cool to hear stuff like that, man. There's uh, anyone, anyone who listens to this podcast probably knows that Rocky's Twitter is a blast. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with all these different media outlets and some of the writers and even some of these like bloggers and just sort of Twitter personalities. So the fact that a Hall of Famer shouted out the kind of culture that the Rocks have culminated online was actually really, really cool. Uh, it's funny, obviously, because it's just like, you know, it's wild that like the tweets can make that big. But it was really cool to kind of hear that, man. So, yeah, I loved all this, man. I think it's it is so great for Rockies fans and for so many people. It is a really, really feel good moment without question. Um, we do have a couple other quick little Rockies things. Nothing's going to be topping the news that, you know, we open with, obviously. But just kind of a little sort of wrap ups of the week. Had a bunch of debuts. Uh, this is really cool. If you guys listen to uh, our Brothers over at the Pebble Report podcast, that's Justin Glick and Kenneth Weber, talk a lot about the Rockies minor league system. A lot of the guys coming through the pipeline. You saw a glimpse of the Rockies' uh, future uh, coming up this past week. We saw the debuts of guys like Colton Welker, guys like Julian Fernandez. Uh, there's a lot of new faces around the Rockies as the season sort of wraps up. We get some of these September call-ups. Uh, who's impressed you so far? I'll start with you, Skyler, because I know you've been talking a little bit about this uh, on the, our channel. Anybody that you've uh, really been impressed with? Anyone else you're really hoping to see? Uh, it's been Colton Welker uh, is who I wanted to focus on. I spent yeah. a bunch of time gushing about you know, Ryan Feltner and you know, Julian Fernandez with the guys over there on the Pebble Report podcast mm. earlier. Uh, I guess their last episode. I got to go be a guest. But something I wanted to check that out. Was, by the way, man, Skyler killed that on that show. Check out that report if you guys have not heard that already. But but what I wanted to focus on was Colton Welker. No, finally got called up just a couple days ago as of this recording during this week and you know, made his debut in a pinch hit appearance the other day at Coors Field. Absolutely walloped a ball, uh, but hit it, unfortunately, to like one of the deepest parts of Coors Field. 
And so it was just a routine fly out. Oh, but after everything that he did uh, in the minors and ever since ser- serving that suspension, that 80-game suspension, you know, and kind of picking up where he left off and then finally getting that chance. You know, when he started in the first game against the Phillies, got his first career start, got his first big league hit, uh, kept a rally, started a rally basically in the bottom, in the top of the ninth with two outs, got mm-hmm. a base hit to set up some home runs. But specifically that moment when he got his first hit, Trevor Story led off with a triple and that classic Rockies thing where runner on third, nobody out. Are they going to bring him in? And it didn't look like they were. CJ Crone gets out. Elise Diaz gets out. No chance for him to tag up or anything. And you're like, oh, great. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. But then Colton Welker, that pressure cooker situation, just a nice line drive into center field, scores a run. What a great moment that was. And then getting the later on that pressure, game's on the line. You're down by by one run. Oh, I'm just going to get a base hit, start a rally. Yep. You know, yep. Just pressure cooking. As recording this Friday night game, he's going to be starting again at third. Yes, he and is. So it's just exciting to see him starting to get that chance and – I'm excited to see what he does over this next month, over the rest of this month, and you know, waiting for that big, first big league fly, and you know, and really see how he does on defense, too. Mm-hmm. It's something to keep an eye on is how does he handle himself defensively, because you know, it, there's a lot of good gloves on this team, and so in order to stand out, you really got to make sure you can handle yourself with the glove and with the bat. So it's exciting to see what happens with Colton Welker. Also, Julian Absolutely. Fernandez throws gas. Yeah, he does. When he's, it is straight cheese from him, isn't it? Yeah. If he can control it, he's gonna be he's gonna be good. It's gonna be a problem for opposing hitters. Absolutely. Yeah, Welker, like Skyler said, man, great little uh big league debut, huge part of the rally win yesterday. Like you said, starting tonight, man. I don't know, might see a big fly by the time you listen to this podcast, actually. That'd be pretty cool. What do you got, Evan? Uh so I'll touch on Welker really quick as well is that just him finally managing to be here because uh, he was considered MLB ready at the beginning of the season. And uh, he didn't break camp with the team, despite the fact that I thought he uh, definitely should have after a very impressive spring training. Then with the uh, 80 game PED suspension that he is very adamant that he is innocent of, and just working his way back. And you know, it took him a little bit to get his footing again after not playing for 80 games. When he uh, was down in Spokane and he uh, played in Hartford just very briefly, um, he looked like he was still trying to get in back into the swing of things, but then he hit Albuquerque and just took off running and showed that he's ready to go. And both um, his pinch hit appearance and his first start yesterday – I think he really showed that he's ready. He showed a lot of poise at the plate. He took pitches. He made at-bats count. And I'm really excited to have him finally up. I think the uh, there can be a lot of changes to the roster next year, but Colton Welker is definitely going to be on it. Yeah? You like him uh, starting at third base next year? If not, then it, it really depends on how things get shuffled around. Like a CJ Crone is still here next year. Sure. Sure. And we would need to find a place for him. Um, you know, questionably we could be looking at an infield of at first base, CJ Crone at second base, Ryan McMahon, uh, Brendan Rogers at shortstop and then Colton Welker at third, or 
if we don't keep CJ Crone, it's even possible that El Hiros Montero could be starting at either one of the corners mm. and then Welker would stay there. But there's definitely a place for him depending on what we do and how we sort of shuffle around. Certainly. Well, and also the implementation of if there's a designated hitter too, that opens up a lot of possibilities. Absolutely, because CJ Crone can can definitely be a DH and then just play first base when we need him to play first base. Mm-hmm. Because I know that he said he came to the Rockies for an everyday, you know, starting role, but you know, there's no reason why he can't do both. Yeah. People need days off. Welker um, is very versatile positionally because he was, he's a natural third baseman, but when it looked like Nolan Arenado was going to be with the team for the long haul, we switched him over to first base because that was a more pressing need and he could play both positions very competently. I was going to say, he was a very fine first baseman uh, in the Rockies minor league system. Yeah, so there's that's one that is one of the good things about this team and a lot of our upcoming minor leaguers is that the Rockies push for defensive flexibility. Yeah. That, you know, Garrett Hampson can play shortstop and second base and center field and, heck, throw him at third base if we need him to. Yep. That Connor Joe is a first baseman and left fielder. Yep. That uh, El Hiros Montero is even um, – doing first and third and then uh guys like aaron shunk who we've had play first base second base and third base down in the minors so it really is um i think it's a good quality of this team that you know preaching this defensive flexibility because it helps us find spots for guys to play sure and can sort of help prevent that whole sort of log jam yeah, Ryan, Ryan McMahon has gotten starts at second and third and first this season, too. So it's just, it's your and point. And he's been great in all three positions. Literally all three. He's, he's played very, very well. So, yeah, the the defensive versatility is a huge boon for the Rockies. And it does it does make things a bit easier when you're trying to find these spots for these young guys as, you know, try to balance out the veteran presence of some of these crones and, and players like that while trying to find spots for the, you know, the glut of minor leaguers that you have in your system that you're trying to uh, get it starts for. So it is it is good that they have that versatility, and it will be very cool to see where someone like Colton Welker ends up uh, starting next season. And, and then, then I do want to touch on um, Julian Fernandez and uh, Ryan Feltner. Please so do. my one thing about these guys, Julian Fernandez in his first inning against the, the Braves looked fantastic. His He threw like 102 on multiple pitches got his first strikeout pitched a one, two, three inning. Um, my only concern there was that, you know, they kept him out there for another inning and this kind of, you know, fireballer is always going to be a one inning sort of guy in my opinion. And he came out for that second inning and just sort of got shelled. And then that followed through to his second appearance where, I don't know if this is necessarily the case. It did look to me like his confidence might have been hurt a little bit because he was nibbling. He wasn't hitting sort of the uh, sort of the gas that we saw him throw in the minors and in his debut. And I really think it's he's just going to have to sort of adjust because we know that he can be a quality pitcher. But I'm I'm not super happy with throwing him out for a second inning on his debut day. I get that you know the game was pretty much lost at that point, but you want to be a little bit more careful in developing guys. Um, I don't think it's going to damage him long-term or at the very least, I hope not. But that, uh, that first inning of work of his was just something special where he looked so good 
for that first inning. And then um, we also started uh, Ryan Feltner that same game. And I'm not necessarily sure that Feltner was ready to go straight from double A to the big leagues. And he definitely showed some stuff. I thought for the most part, he did just fine, especially for a kid going straight up to the show from double A. But there's a couple things that I, I kind of worry about with him. Namely, he has a cutter, um, which traditionally doesn't really play well at Coors Field. And he threw that cutter a lot when he was pitching on that Sunday. And he... I don't know. I didn't... I wasn't a fan of it. Yeah, but sure. Sure. I think he's he's got solid stuff, and I think it really is. We're just going to see how he does going forward. I'm willing to bet he's going to get another start or two before the season's over. But I think um, going to Feltner sort of highlights the bottom heaviness of our minor league system where there's just not really a lot of people ready to go in AAA right now. Because you think about the guy who you probably would have gone to is Ryan Rollison, who just isn't ready anymore because he missed so much time this season. So we went to Feltner, who's in our top 30 prospect list. Uh, He was a fourth-round draft pick back in 2018. He's a good pitcher, and he's been fantastic in the minor leagues. So my my hope is that, you know, hey, Rook, shake it off. Tough first outing, but you got it out of the way. Let's keep rolling. And apparently um, Lucas Gilbreth was uh, palling around with uh, Feltner because Feltner on his first pitch of the game gave up a home run. And uh, Lucas Gilbreth was like, hey, man, it's, it's an exclusive club we're in, you and I, because uh, Gilbreth memorably did the same thing where – you know, his first pitch of his major league career, he gave up a home run. Right. Yeah, and and Feltner could have had a much easier circumstance of debuting. You're going up against the Atlanta Braves at Coors Field after coming over from Hartford. And so it'd be nice to see him have a different scenario. But like you're saying, and we talked about it on the the Pell Report, is like he he was kind of the only option, too, since – no, there's really nobody really ready at AAA. Ryan Castellani's not on the roster anymore because he's mm-hmm. been struggling so badly this year. Mm-hmm. Derek Rodriguez is nowhere near ready to come back to a major league level. He's been struggling all year. No, and so Feltner at 25 making that jump, it's sometimes worth the gamble because that's really all you've got because Pierre Lambert's still not ready. There's yeah. Ryan Rollison's been injured so much this year. So Feltner definitely earned his chance. And it'll be cool to see if, how he does in his second start after kind of getting his feet wet, get those nerves out of the way. Sure. And like Bud Black talked to him in interviews, like his changeup has been a really good, and he only threw it once in that game. And mm. so if he can start using more of his pitches, work in that changeup a lot more, I think I think he'll have a better time. And you know, we'll uh, see what he Rockies does. The Rockies in their changeups. Yeah. Yeah. A long and storied history of Rockies and changeups. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm with you guys. It, it really is one of those things where it's like, we talk so much about the versatility of the, uh, uh hitters and position players. And now we got the same thing with these pitchers, just seeing who's going to stick around and who's going to make it through some of these tough starts, you know, like, like y'all both said, like you got some of these tough ones, but he's got to work through them. 
And, uh, you know, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to see who else makes their debut and how a lot of these kids do throughout the last couple of weeks. Cause you know, we're in the end game now, the, yep. the season's just about over here and yep. we got to just see how the, how the rookies do. And I, you know, more people I think are probably going to get called up as the last month here goes on. Mm-hmm. So real quick, we're going to take an ad break here. We got a little bit more rocks news to cover. We're going to then talk a little bit more about the Hall of Fame ceremony and uh, some controversy that came with it. And then we're going to finish up, talk about the wild card races. As Evan said, the season gets ready to wrap up. Talk about who might be going in and who might not make it at all. So stick with us through this ad break. we got lots more to cover. We'll see you here in just a minute. And we are back. We are all in sync. We are all rested and ready to finish up this here episode of Affected by Altitude. I mentioned Prior to the break, we do have a little bit more Rockies news to cover. This is just real brief. Uh, we have the return of John Gray to the rotation. Always great to see him back. And then we were talking beforehand as we prepare to uh, watch the baseball here tonight on Friday as we record. We've got Herman Marquez making a start in Philadelphia. He's really struggling lately. His last five starts, he's given up at least three runs, a seven and a half, uh, actually more than seven and a half earned run average in that span. Real brief for whoever wants to answer it. John Gray, Herman Marquez, any thoughts on these two pitchers in the rotation right now? Uh, so I'll talk about Herman for a minute. So Let's do it. Herman in his last six starts has has definitely looked rough. Uh, he's got an ERA of, of 6.23 over his last six starts starting August 6th to last week, September 4th. Uh, only 30 total innings pitched. He's not making it as long into games, and he's giving up a lot of hits. And I've seen some people panicking a little bit about it but something i really want to talk about and i've talked about it at length with some of our other writers and with other people is that i really really think it is just you know he's hitting his wall for the year he has pitched double the amount of innings that he pitched in 2020 he's pitched the most of anyone else on the rockies pitching staff so he's got 161 total innings this year he pitched 81.2 in 2020 and he's nearing his total mark for 2019 which was 174 so i really just think it is you know last season was very short and it screwed with a lot of guys ability to you know push longer into the season and i really think it is Erman is still an incredibly talented pitcher, but he's just, you know, hitting the wall for the year where he's tired. Uh, we've talked about this plenty of times before that being a big league pitcher is mentally and physically exhausting. And he's, I think it would be good for him if he maybe skipped a start. Like, uh, I think maybe if, if we hadn't have lost, you know, Chi Chi and Austin and some of the other folks that today would be an optimal time to just give him the rest before he went into the rest of the season but we'll see how how things go tonight but people just need to keep in mind that people are pitching so much more this year than they have last year everyone is reaching about twice their total inning amount uh since at 138 innings uh john gray's at 131.1 uh in 2020 since he only pitched 73.1 and john gray only pitched 39 innings so everyone is just pitching drastically more than they had been. So it really is just, you know, you're hitting the wall. You're tired. It's the end of the season. I'm not yeah. worried about Herman. I'm not worried about John. I'm not really worried about anybody right now. It's just that, you know, folks are tired. We're, we're reaching the end of the year, and you got to just, you know, sort of ease into it as you come and expect that people are going to look a little bit less sharp. Yeah, it just kind of is what it is, huh? Mm-hmm. 
What you got, Skylar? I think with John Gray, uh, it's good to have him back. I know people were worried about him missing the rest of the season, but it was good to see him back, and he was looking good. The game, I think, something that John Gray just needs to continue to work on is kind of his efficiency during games, uh, where there's been quite a few games where he's struggled to get out of the just get through five innings sometimes. And so it's good to have him back. He's was looking good in his start. It's just working on that efficiency, you know, pound the zone. And I think that's with everybody. Like you're saying, they're getting tired at this point in the year. No, they may feel refreshed, but still that wear and tear on the body throughout a season really drags down on you. And no, this season's really shown the Rockies a little bit more of that need for good quality pitching depth. Because this is really the first season they've dealt with in a while where most everybody in their rotation has been injured at some point or another or unavailable this season. So they're kind of dealing with no, a decimated rotation for the first time in a while. And that's where we get instances like Ryan Feltner coming up and having Chi-Chi Gonzalez have to pitch, all that stuff where they just need to figure out their pitching depth. But, uh, yeah, these guys are getting tired. And when you're out of contention, you can start giving these guys breaks you know, and have some give some other guys some tryouts and you know, all that good stuff. So Absolutely. And that's another thing for Hermann, too, where – Herman is the only guy in our pitching staff who has not missed a single start. He's mm-hmm. hit all 28, and today will be 29 of his starts for the season. So think about just how, how tiring that's got to be. Absolutely. And, yeah, John Gray was really, really good for his first five innings the other day. And I think it was that, you know, having that extra time off did him some good to sort of recoup that uh, tightness in his pitching arm. So, yeah. It really is just, you know, everybody relax. We're not really playing for anything right now. It's just ease towards the end of the season. Um, Chichi Gonzalez is unfortunately hurt, and mm-hmm. we we lose even more of that pitching depth, but he had been been really struggling lately. Absolutely. Yeah, just kind of get to the end of the season. Just kind of take it from there. Exactly. No need to freak out. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm right there with you on that, brother. But yeah, so with the Rockies news being wrapped up, let's get into uh, some controversial uh, situations. Potentially, potentially controversial, we'll see. But the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony, as we mentioned, included the, the uh, fantastic Larry Walker. It also included uh, one Derek Jeter, who might be a bigger name to some. Uh, hopefully to those that are not listening to this here podcast. I think we all like to agree that people listening to this podcast know that Larry Walker is the true GOAT. And one thing I wanted to ask my brothers here... Larry Walker is a phenomenal player, as is Derek Jeter. And I think we talked about before the podcast began that Derek Jeter is no doubt a Hall of Famer, no question. However, one thing we discussed was it was a bit much with uh, the uh, Jeter love uh, on the uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. And I understand that he means a lot to the game of baseball. I understand he means a lot to Yankees fans, right? That makes perfect sense. But did it go overboard? Was it a bit too much? And the real question I want to ask you guys, and I... You know, be completely honest. I might be completely out of my out of my mind right here when I ask this, but if Derek Jeter did not play for the Yankees, right? Because so much of his career is based around the idea that he has more hits than any other Yankee. A lot of it's very Yankee centric, right? Winning all those rings with that team. If he was not a Yankee, would he be getting this kind of adulation? Would he be getting this kind of recognition? 
So really the question I'm asking you guys is what is your general take on Derek Jeter on the Yankees culture as it pertains to this Hall of Fame ceremony and anything you really have about the ceremony as it relates to Jeter? Whoever wants it. Um, so I'll, I, I can give it a start. Jeter is without a doubt a Hall of Famer. Probably even a without a doubt even a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. He's an was an excellent player, especially with the bat and his longevity where, you know, he played so many seasons. He played, you know, 2,700 games right. in uh, major league baseball. He has almost 3,500 hits. He, he was really good. Like Jeter is an excellent, excellent player. Absolutely hall of famer. Absolutely a first ballot hall of famer. But I think that if he was not on the dynasty Yankees and on the Yankees in general, where, you know, they're one of the teams that are always in the spotlight. He is not necessarily the, um, the crazy hyper focus of this year's hall of fame ceremony and not necessarily even the, the near unanimous lock that he was where, Mm -hmm. you know, first ballot, only one person did not vote for him. And, like I said, Jeter's really, really good, but the the amount of hype that he gets, I think, is definitely overblown because he was a New York Yankee, and that and that definitely happens. But if you run down, like comparing him to Larry Walker, so Larry Walker definitely had a shorter career than Derek Jeter, played almost a thousand less games. Larry Walker played um, one thousand nine hundred eighty eight games compared to Jeter's. Uh, 2,749 games or 47, mm-hmm. pardon me. But if you go over some individual stats in their comparison, so BWAR, Larry Walker, 72.7 over Jeter's 72.4. OPS Plus, Larry Walker's 141 over Jeter's 115. Career batting average, Larry Walker's 313 over Jeter's 310. Uh, On base percentage, Walker's 400 over Jeter's 377. WPA, Walker's 49.19 over Jeter's 32.90. And this is all in, you know, 4,500 less less plate appearances. And uh, a user on Twitter named Sabermetric uh, Skeptic pointed this out, that if you adjust Larry Walker's uh, number of plate appearances, the same as Jeter's, Walker has a projected BWAR of 114.1 compared to Jeter's 72.4. So I think that also plays into, so that Jeter was very good, but it also plays into what we were talking about earlier, how overlooked Larry Walker was, because Larry Walker took all 10 years of his eligibility to get into the Hall of Fame, whereas Derek Jeter was first ballot near unanimous. And I think a very large portion of it is because, you know, Jeter has that he's, he's a Yankee. He was always on the world stage. He was always playing in the world series. He has uh, a ton of playoff experience. He was the world series MVP. He won five, five rings. He was a 14 time all-star because of um, the increased stage where, you know, who's not going to vote for the, you know, always on TV Yankee shortstop. When Larry Walker was, you know, comparable, if not better in some ways in talent and overall, because Walker was a true five tool player, whereas, you know, Jeter defensively was never as good as, 
as Larry Walker, mm-hmm. despite he, you know, he did one win the five gold gloves, but Jeter was never the overall, you know, defensive powerhouse that Larry Walker was. And Larry Walker, then in addition to that, had the power, had hitting for average, had speed so he could steal bases where, you know, he's got over 300 career home runs, over 2000 career hits and over 230 stolen bases. So uh, like, like I said, just to, to sum up, I guess Jeter, absolutely a first ballot hall of famer, but you know, maybe then if we're looking at that, Larry Walker should have been voted in much, much sooner when Derek has the hype train of being a Yankees. Great. And he is a great, he is one of the best Yankees of all time, but he has that hype machine doing extra work for him. That's a pretty uh, stellar breakdown right there, man. That's gonna be, uh, that's pretty much everything I was asking for. What do you got, Skylar? Anything to add? Well, yeah, I think a big thing with baseball is you can always play all the what ifs. You know, uh, well, if he wasn't playing in this place, had the opportunity in this environment, how would he perceive somewhere else? And it's a very legitimate thing to think about. You know, because if the Colorado Rockies never existed and Larry Walker, you know, stayed in Montreal or somewhere else for the majority of his career and did all the things, how soon would he get into the Hall of Fame? Uh, And the same thing with Derek Jeter, where if he hadn't played for the Yankees his entire career, you know, and, and, you know, you get on that big stage, you're not playing on great teams that are surrounding him with lots of talent that take pressure off of him to perform, you know, where you have a team full of stars who can take you to a World Series and win a bunch of them, you know, whereas Larry Walker and other guys, they play, Larry Walker only went to the playoffs three times in his career, you know, and made the most of it when he was with the Cardinals, but it's that same thing with Derek Jeter, yeah, you get a good player, very good, deserving of the Hall of Fame. And I, if he put up a bunch of those stats, which I think he'd be capable of no matter where he played, he'd have that opportunity. He'd be like a Miguel Cabrera, I think. Because when I think of Miguel Cabrera or a lot of these other guys that don't play on the big market teams, no no doubt that they're Hall of Famers. You know, we've talked about Joey Votto, Miguel Cabrera. Everybody considers he's going to be a Hall of Famer, despite that he played for the Marlins and the Tigers. No, and, and I don't think anybody doubts that. But still, Derek Jeter had that added bonus of being on the biggest stage in baseball in New York. You have the media that is constantly talking about uh, the New York Yankees and uh, what he meant to the Yankees. And it, I think a lot of that adds to that overblown hype and recognition that we talk about where – that overshadows the fact that, yes, he was a good player, but the fact that he was a Yankee turns him into kind of this baseball savior, messiah, uh, idol personality in baseball. And that's what was bugging me watching the Hall of Fame coverage is I watched the MLB Network's coverage started at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. And I was sitting there watching it the whole time and and up until the... Ceremonies actually began about 1130 or so. Even then it mm-hmm. carried on. But I think they talked about Larry Walker for maybe about 10, 12 minutes. And the entire rest of the time was dedicated to Derek Jeter, where he'd come back from commercial break and, oh, here's 
here's Ozzie Smith with a video talking about Derek Jeter. Oh, now here's yep. here's Jorge Posada talking about Derek Jeter. Here's Joel Sherman or other you know, media people coming on to talk about Derek Jeter. And so you know, I understand that's the big numbers push, but they were overshadowing a lot of other great people there who the Hall of Fame day belonged to. And they just sort of gave it to Derek Jeter like, oh, it's his day and here's some other guys that were here with him. So that kind of bugged me. Yeah. And you had the you know, Yankees fans being the kind and gracious fans that they are sometimes <laughs> to the media and other people that aren't Yankees. You know, they were kind of cutting off other people's speeches early on. You know, all kind of booing those that weren't Derek Jeter because that's who they came to see. But yeah. but Derek Jeter, yes, good player, but definitely overhyped because of where he played, that it kind of puts him on this pedestal that he shouldn't be on. No player should, oh, well, I guess some players can be. But you know, it, it kind of gets overblown where they think yeah. of him as the most perfect player there ever was. And the one... I'm a little surprised we're all agreement on this. Yeah. And the one thing to talk about is when they always talk about I'm always a fan of like when you're talking about their Hall of Fame candidacy and things is, you know, focus first on what they do in the regular season because not all opportunities are created equal to play in the off play in the postseason. Huge postseason. Huge point. You know, because that's a huge point. Yes, the Yankees, Derek Jeter got to play on some great teams. You know, he had Alex Rodriguez, he had you know, all these kinds of different guys playing with him. These Jorge Posadas, these great pitching staffs, these great world championship teams, whereas Larry Walker, the best clo- the best closer of all time, yeah, yep. And then you look at the Rockies teams during Larry Walker's tenure, and for the most part, yeah, there were some good offensive teams, but not very good pitching teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. You can also look at the uh, the amazing 1999 Rockies, yeah. who God. had like a total 1.4 team war. God, yeah. Where the, the Rockies only went to one play, only went to the playoffs once with Larry Walker in 1995. Yep. And that's because the yep. wild card had been created. Hmm. I'm a little surprised that we are all on the same page. As I thought there'd be a bit more discourse, but yeah, like I think you guys have nailed it. That there is so much of the. And, and again, we're all very clear. We are not taking anything away from the great career that Jeter had, right? We, we can't be more clear about that. But I think it's also pretty undeniable that a lot of the work that goes into putting him over as like one of the greatest uh, players of all time, like these, you know, total uh, like sport-defining players, or whatever, comes because of the Yankee situation. And I think that if, you know, he plays for the Baltimore Orioles, like Evan said, is he still a first ballot Hall of Famer? No question. Of course he is. But is he, you know, considered this icon of the sport, this untouchable captain of, you know, all these teams? I don't know if he is, right? So it is very interesting that we are all on the same page. I do want to hear from you all on Twitter listening to this. This has been a really good topic uh, that we've been talking about a lot recently. What do you all think? Uh, let us know online. You know, is obviously Derek Jeter's a Hall of Famer, but that's not a question, but do you think that a lot of Derek can't talk now? Do you think that a lot of Derek Jeter's legacy is defined by the fact that he played for a lot of these goaded Yankees teams? Let us know what you think, man. We would love to hear from you guys. Derek Jeter, the Pittsburgh Any other things on Pirate. This? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, 
Literally, though, like, what if? Like, in a parallel universe... In fact, bang, Skyler, there's, there's an even more uh, apt question. In a parallel universe, Derek Jeter plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Same career, same stats, all that. Is he still considered one of the absolute greatest to ever take the field? Let us know online. I'd love to hear that answer. Or even more mind-bending if Derek Jeter had spent his entire 20-year career with the Colorado Rockies. Oh, now that, that would be crazy. Is Derek Jeter then the first Rocky in the Hall of Fame? Well, or do they say it's inflated because of course? Well, it's interesting because you look at look at the first round of the uh, 1992 MLB draft when Jeter was drafted by the Yankees. So Jeter was drafted sixth overall. So there were five other teams, the Astros, Cleveland, Montreal, Baltimore, and Cincinnati, who drafted before them. And almost all of those were ended up being pretty much busts. Mm-hmm. Um, the the only one with a career B-War above 10 was the first overall pick in that year's draft, uh, third baseman Phil Nevin, who was drafted by the Astros. So after that, in the second round, in the second overall pick, Cleveland picks uh, right-handed pitcher Paul Shuey, who only played 110 games uh, for a B-War of 6.8. Uh, the Expos drafted B.J. Wallace, who never made it to the majors, uh, left-handed pitcher. The Orioles drafted uh, outfielder Jeffrey Hammonds, who was a Rocky for a while. Yes, he who was. played a little bit under 1,000 games um, for 8.6. And then the pick right before Jeter, uh, fifth overall pick Cincinnati, picked outfielder Chad Mulata, who only played 15, 59 games at the big league level for a career B-war of negative 0.9 <laughs> so it's like there were and there's a there's a ton of other interesting busts in the first round of this draft but there were you know five teams that could have picked ahead of the yankees and taken jeter and and what would have happened mm-hmm. or even later on so we talk about the pittsburgh pirates uh this was the year that the pirates selected jason kendall mm. uh, in the with the 23rd overall pick uh, the Royals picked Johnny Damon. So there's some there's some other interesting names here. You yeah. swap things around and you wonder how things could go. But that's always a that's always a game you play with uh, totally. the what ifs in baseball. Going back into past drafts is such a good time, isn't it? I love doing stuff like that. So yeah, man, let us know on Twitter, guys. We'd love to hear from you all about this topic because there's a lot that goes into it. Last little bit of uh, of uh, you know housekeeping we want to do before we wrap this thing up. We, like I've mentioned many times in this podcast, are rapidly approaching the end of the season. we got some close races going on here. As we open play today again on Friday, so by the time you listen to this, it's probably you know wrong, but hey, we're talking about it. We've got some real close wild card standings. So we've got the Giants still in first place, of course, in the National League West as games uh, begin today. Right now, the Dodgers have a pretty good hold on the first wild card spot in the National League. Basically, whoever does not end up winning the NL West will make the wild card as the first uh, seeded team in the wild card. Beyond that, National League, it's a lot tighter. We got San Diego currently, again, holding, as we start playing on Friday, holding the second spot. But only a game back are the Reds. Three games back are the Cardinals. And then three and a half games back are the Phillies. So the Rockets playing spoiler this weekend with the four games out with the Phillies, eventually. Uh, before I get to the American League, what do you think of the National League wildcard race? I'll start with you, Skyler. We were talking about this a little earlier today. 
what is your opinion of the National League wildcard race? Who makes it? Who does not? What any predictions you got? Anything you got on this at all? Uh, it's a very tight race, which is always fun. Because I always like it when nobody's running away with it. No, but it's going to be close between Cincinnati and San Diego. With no San Diego's kind of been struggling here, just kind of trudging along, and Cincinnati is, you know, risen up right behind them, and so just one game separates the two of them, and they're going to be battling it out, probably leapfrogging back and forth, um, which is. It's going to make for some fun matchups of what happens for the rest of their seasons, kind of watching the scoreboard against each other. But also, what role can the Rockies play in a lot of stuff, (laughs) specifically with this battle between the Dodgers and the Giants, who are very neck and neck, and the Rockies have two more series against... They have one more series apiece against the Dodgers and the Giants. And so it's who would you rather lose to so the other team wins at the division type of thing? Yeah. No, totally. would you rather them lose to the Dodgers at home or lose to the Giants at home like we just experienced? Uh-huh. So uh, it's going to be it's an interesting race. It's fun to watch. It's very fun to watch. What do you got in the National League, Evan? So. I actually think the Reds are going to end up beating out the Padres. Get out. Really? The Padres have a really, really tough schedule for the rest of the rest of the month. Today, they're kicking off a three game series against the Dodgers. Then they've got a four game series against the Giants and a three game series against the Cardinals. And then they finish out the season. Giants, Braves, Dodgers. They have their work cut out for them, especially yeah, they when do. their starting pitching is sort of decimated. Though you know Blake Snell's been um, turning the lights out again and being really good, but compare that to the Reds' schedule, where the Reds are kicking off a three-game series against the Cardinals today, but then after that, they only have two series against winning teams and that's the Dodgers three game series and a uh, I believe it's a three game series against the Chicago White Sox or no it's a two game series rather Uh, outside of that they play the Pirates three times and the Nationals like that's a that's a way way easier schedule yep for for the Reds especially closing out the season with a three game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates that's I mean, unless maybe the Nationals or the Pirates play spoiler to them, but I sincerely doubt it. I just think Cincy has the easier path right now. Interesting. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? After the offseason that the and, and at the trade deadline that the Padres had, that yeah. them after all the not capital the they spent. Yeah, man. Can you imagine it? That'd be a huge story, wouldn't it? And then on the other side of the leagues, we've got the American League. So Boston, this is somehow even tighter boston is currently again as we start today they got a one game lead for the first wild card spot after them is the yankees then just a half game back are the orioles excuse me orioles dumb the blue jays wrong bird half game back of them and then the a's are two games back and then the mariners are also two games back so between the entire wild card spot and the you know three preceding teams or i guess teams that follow them there's a two-game different, 
three of those teams are from the AL East. It is a fierce competition there. Start with you this time, Evan. What you got on the AL uh, wildcard spot? Uh, I definitely think the 94 loss Orioles are going to come crawling yeah, back. It's embarrassing, man. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It's not, it's not over. It's not over yet. Oh, man. They've got it rough. That's uh, that's another tough year for Baltimore. Yeah, so, I I think the uh, the wild card race in the American League is really exciting. I am thinking that Boston holds on. They've got a really solid team built right now, and I think they're able to, you know, hold on to that final spot, especially when they've got not an e- they've got a, a pretty midline schedule coming up mm-hmm. on them um, where they play a lot of these other wild card teams they also play the white Sox. the yankees i'm not so sure about especially because they just got swept by the blue jays and they do have an easier schedule though so they play the mets who are sort of backsliding right now they play the Orioles and Cleveland and the Rangers, but then they cap out their season against the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Rays. And I think the the Rays win the division, no doubt. Uh-huh. Um, but what I would really like to see, and you know, call me an optimist, is I want to see the Mariners tough it out. And... Uh, go to the playoffs for the first time since 2001. But the Mariners have a pretty tough schedule, too. They've got a couple gimmies. Um, so they've got a, th- a three-game series against the Diamondbacks that are starting today. And then next week, they've got a three-gamer against the Royals. But they also play the Red Sox. They play the Athletics twice, who are similarly jockeying for that final wild card spot. And then they have a series that could go either way in uh, two series against the Angels. Mm-hmm. But I really, really want to see uh, the Mariners tough it out and make it to the playoffs. If they don't, then I think it's going to be Toronto. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. I'd love to see Toronto get in, man. I'm a big Vlad guy. I'd love to see Toronto make it. How about you, Skyler? AL? Uh, I, yeah, I'm in agreement. I want Toronto to make it in. Uh, just that young core and everything yep. they're doing, I'd love to see them get in. And they have the benefit of they've won eight straight so far, so they're only a half game back of the Yankees, who have lost six straight and are two and eight in their last ten games. So the Yankees, once again, are going into kind of a slide, and the Toronto Blue Jays are in a surge. So it'd be be nice to see them kind of battle back and take over that spot, and who knows, maybe even take over the top wild card spot, which would be super nice. But I'd also like to see the Mariners climb their way up they're only two games back so i i'm always a fan of teams that don't regularly go to the playoffs to get into the playoffs and so i always get tired of seeing teams like the red Sox and the yankees going every year yep because i want to see some of these other teams get in and go further Mm -hmm. because the minutes the twins kept doing that but they could never win a game Sorry, Twins fans that are listening to this. Yeah, now look where they're at now. So, yeah, yeah. that's what I want to see is specifically Toronto to get in, but it'd be nice if Seattle can kind of put some pressure as well. The Rockies West, man. Seattle Mariners. Rockies on the West Coast. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, yeah, man, real tight wild card races. A uh, lot of great games coming up. Uh, 
uh, love to see the Padres not make it, of course. I uh, would love to see, the, as Skyler said, the Red Sox not make it. Love to see the – yeah, man, it would be crazy if neither the Red Sox nor the Yankees made it, but Toronto got in. That is, like, the best timeline. That is the best of all 16 million realities. Um, awesome. Uh, that is pretty much our show done with. We have covered all our topics for this week, so we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. Always appreciate you guys listening in, man. We love doing this. Um, only get a few more of these before the season ends uh, for, you know, for good. So make sure you're catching uh, up on all of the, you know, prevalent Rockies action on the website as well, purpleroad.com. Of course, we got our daily news, updates, articles, everything you could possibly want on there. Skylar, where can the fans get at you on Twitter? Find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Yep. Talk about uh, the PS5 showcase with Skylar, man. He wants to talk about it. Let's talk about Spider-Man. And uh, you can get at myself at Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. Talk to me about pro wrestling. Let me know what you think about Brian Danielson locking up with Adam Cole in AEW, as nutty as that could be. And then, Evan, how about you? Uh, you can hit me up at Evan underscore Lang 27. I'd love to hear from you. You can talk to me about pretty much whatever, I guess. Uh, talk to me <laughs> about Jarrett Patterson. or that um, That Charles Woodson uh, hype video he released for the Packers that – had me ready to run through a brick wall. Oh my God. We're not doing this on this podcast, Evan. Let's go bears. Um, you can also find us at the official affected by altitude, Twitter account, which is at altitude effect. Yes, sir. Any icebreaker questions will go up on there. Make sure you guys let us know what you think of those. And again, as I as mentioned earlier, that cheater question, make sure you let us know what's going on there again. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate all of you guys. We love doing this. We've got a couple more of these in for the season ends. Skyler hit him with it. Farewell. And we are out. Thanks, y'all. Go Pack Go. Oh, God.